morning, everybody. Uh, my name is Gino Allison, like my wife said, and I'm one of the pastors here, and I want to welcome you to the South Suburban Vineyard Church's online service. Things are different than, obviously, than what we expect. I'm talking to an empty room again, but that's all right because you guys are all watching and leaning in online. So thank you for being here this morning. I had a lot to share this morning, so I want to get right to it. This month, November, marks the 11-year anniversary uh, for my wife and I in this church uh, back in 2009, myself, my wife, and about 11 other people moved here from Urbana, Illinois to start the South Suburban Vineyard Church. And what started as a tiny little family has grown into a, a much larger family that we get to do and share life with. And I was telling my wife this week that uh, one of the main roles that we've had as pastors has been the opportunity to serve as a, a sort of first responder in the important moments of the lives of our friends and particularly the people who go to this church. We've been like first responders. And basically, we're among the first people to get the good news of people's lives, right? We are invited into the rooms and into celebrations first of some of the happiest moments in people's lives. Usually when people get a new job, we're the first to get a text message or a call. No doubt we've been praying with them about a new job. And so we're among the first to celebrate. When somebody gets engaged, before it hits Facebook or Instagram, typically we get a picture of somebody holding up a ring and say, hey, she said yes, or something like that. Uh, folks are getting married. Folks are having uh, new babies. Typically we uh, are blessed to be able to go see the child first or to hold the child first. All these important happy moments, one of the perks of my job, and one of the perks of being able to do ministry and life in Christian community, particularly this community, is that we are among the first to share in the joy and the happy news. It's also true that in the absolute worst and darkest hours of people's lives, we are among the first to get those calls as well. People lose their job and they're going crazy because they don't know how they're going to sustain their family. Um, we get those calls when people are having difficulty with their children or having difficulty having children. We typically get those texts, those calls, those prayer requests. When somebody suffers a miscarriage, we, we get called. When a spouse has been unfaithful, when the divorce papers have been served, we, we get those calls. When the phone rings in the middle of the night with tragic news, oftentimes our phone rings shortly Thereafter, when the doctor comes in and she gives you news that just takes your legs from under you. At times we get invited into those moments when the cancer comes back. Um, we get those calls as well. And so we have been privileged to be first responders in the lives of many of the people that call this place home. It's one of the greatest joys of doing this work. One of the questions that come up over and over as we sit with people in the darkest hours of their soul is something like this. Where, where is Jesus in all of this? Like, where is Jesus in this tragedy? Where is Jesus in this diagnosis? Where is Jesus in this financial ruin? Where are the big things like COVID or small personal crises that totally disrupt your life? I'm often hearing it either explicitly stated, explicitly asked, or implied, where is Jesus 
in this dark, dark moment. And year after year, as we've walked with people through their own pain, and year after year, as we've walked through our own personal seasons of darkness and pain, I have found Jesus sitting at this busy intersection of our faith in him, of our expectations that flow from that faith, uh, the disappointment that comes from those expectations not being met and the ensuing grief. And so there's this complicated intersection of faith, expectation, disappointment, and grief that I often find when I have sober eyes to see it, Jesus sitting right in the midst of it, right in the middle. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. Faith, expectation, disappointment, and grief. These emotions are on our minds this week. As many of you have heard that um, our community life pastors, uh, Pastor Jordan and Nikki, got some devastating news this week that their three-year-old daughter, Joy, was diagnosed with leukemia. Earth-shattering news. It rippled through our community, and we've just been so blessed by the flood of encouragement and prayers and you asking what you do. But we're also sitting in this moment with them is their faith and their expectation and their disappointment and their grief weighs heavy, not just on them, but in this community. No doubt this was on my mind as I processed the word that the Lord gave me to share with you today. And whether it be their personal crisis or our own personal crisis or COVID, the second wave that is pressing us back, uh, sheltering in place, whether it's racial tension, whether it's still the looming reality of an unsettled political reality here in the U.S., or whatever you're dealing with personally, maybe that you haven't even told anybody yet, I'm here to tell you that Jesus is sitting at the complicated intersection of our faith in him, our expectations, our disappointment, and our grief. I'm going to be in a passage of scripture this morning, John 11. I'm going to start at verse 1. And go through verse 37. John 11, I want to start at verse 1. Would you meet me there in your Bibles this morning? While you find that, let me pray. Lord, I thank you. Despite the circumstances, you are good. As we preach to empty rooms again, you are still good. As we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are good. Your word tells us, Lord, that you are close to the brokenhearted. You are acquainted with much sorrow and suffering. And you appreciate every season of the soul, even the dark ones. And Father, I pray that you would grant us freedom to experience the full range of human emotions this morning as we interact with your word. May the book come alive to us today as we seek you. As we press in today, Father, may you... Set the table with daily bread. Would you set the table with living water? Would you move the preacher out of the way this morning so that your truth, your light might shine through? We ask all these things in Jesus' mighty name and all God's people said, amen. John chapter 11, verse 1. I'll tell you beforehand that this is, a, this is one of the longer passages that we uh, will read. I'm not apologizing. I'm just letting you know. And I want you to, as we read this lengthy passage this morning, I want you to notice what you notice. I want you to picture the images that these words create, and I want these words to minister to you even as we read them. And if you're feeling brave after I get done, read it. Maybe you can share in the comments just what 
you noticed and what the Lord spoke to you even as we read it. Before we even begin to unpack it, I want you to notice what you notice. John chapter 11, I'll start at verse 1. It says, a man named Lazarus was sick. He lived in Bethany with his sisters Mary and Martha. This is the Mary who later poured the expensive perfume on the Lord's feet and wiped them with her hair. Her brother Lazarus was sick. So two So the two sisters, excuse me, sent a message to Jesus telling him, Lord, your dear friend is very sick. But when Jesus heard about it, he said, Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. No, it happened for the glory of God so that the Son of God will receive glory from this. So although Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, he stayed where he was for the next two days. Finally, he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. But his disciples objected. Rabbi, they said, only a few days ago, the people in Judea were trying to stone you, and you are going there again? Jesus replied, there are 12 hours of, every, of daylight every day. During the day, people can walk safely. They can see because they have the light of this world. But, that, but at night, there is danger of stumbling because they have no light. Then he said, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but now I will go and wake him up. Verse 12. The disciples said, Lord, if he is sleeping, he will soon get better. They thought Jesus meant Lazarus was simply sleeping, but Jesus meant Lazarus had died. So he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sakes, I am glad I wasn't there. For now, you will really believe. Come, let's go see him. Thomas, nicknamed the twins, said to his fellow disciples, let's go too and die with Jesus. Sounds like an exciting excursion. When Jesus arrived at Bethany, he was told that Lazarus had already been in his grave for, more, for, for four days. Bethany was only a few miles down the road from Jerusalem, and many of the people had come to console Martha and Mary in their loss. When Mary, Martha got word that Jesus was coming, she, she went to meet him. But Mary stayed in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus told her, your brother will rise again. Yes, Martha said, he will rise when everyone else rises at the last day. And Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this, Martha? Yes, Lord, she told him, I have always believed you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who has come into the world from God. Then she returned to Mary. She called Mary aside from the mourners and told her, the teacher is here and wants to see you. So Mary immediately went to him. Verse 30, Jesus had stayed outside the village at the place where Martha met him. When the people who were at the house consoling Mary saw her leave so hastily, they assumed she was going to Lazarus's grave to weep. So they followed her there. When Mary arrived and saw Jesus, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and saw the other people wailing with her, a deep anger welled up within him, and he was deeply troubled. Where have you put him, he asked. They told him, Lord, come see. Then Jesus wept. The people who were standing nearby said, See how much he loved him? But some said, this man healed a blind man. Couldn't he have kept Lazarus from dying? Many of you have read this passage many times or heard sermons about it or heard it read. 
And you know that if you keep tracking through the next few verses, you see that Lazarus was actually raised from the dead. But I purposely don't want to focus on that today because I want to focus on Jesus sitting with us in the intersection of all of these complicated emotions and realities. Lazarus eventually dies again. And so this moment this morning isn't about the healing or the miracle. It's about Jesus hanging out with us. There's so much good in this text. I'm wondering how it lands on you. And if you're feeling brave, go ahead and type in the chat what stood out, what you noticed as we read through it. But Jesus gets this news that his dear friend is really, really sick. His friend Lazarus, who is the brother of Mary and Martha, his good friends from Bethany. And Bethany is just a few miles east of Jerusalem. And Jesus often stayed in Bethany with his friends whenever he came to Jerusalem, and he came to Jerusalem a lot. And so when their brother got sick, Jesus gets the call. When their brother got sick, Jesus got the opportunity to be one of those first responders that we talked about earlier. In fact, the word they sent to Jesus in verse 3 says, Lord, your dear friend is very, very sick. And they reached out to Jesus not because, just because Jesus was friends with them, not just to inform Jesus, but they seemed to reach out to Jesus because they assumed that Jesus could do something about it. Now, it's important to note that Jesus' reaction and his response leaves more to be desired. Somebody says that his friend is sick, near death, and Jesus says, it's going to be all right. He's not going to die from this. Turns out he dies that same day, right? And Jesus also suggests that somehow this tragic event happens so that God would get glory, whatever that means, especially when you're grieving, right? On top of all this, Jesus stays right where he is for the next two days, And after that, they take the day-long trip and end up where Lazarus has died some four days later. He's been dead four days now. The Scripture tells us that when he arrives, he is met by Martha and later by Mary, and they both greet him with the exact same words. You can see it in verse 21 and in verse 32. They say to him, Lord, if only you had been here my brother would not have died. Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. And let me just be the first to say, these are some heavy words. I don't know who needs to hear this this morning, but maybe some of us can relate to this situation. We love Jesus like Mary and Martha and Lazarus did. We've been walking with him. And in our time of trouble, we call out to him whether it's because the world is going crazy with COVID and all kinds of racial craziness. Maybe we're experiencing some financial issues or relational issues or a personal crisis in our health. And you call out to Jesus and he didn't seem to show up when and how you wanted him to show up. And you might say some version of what Martha and Mary said, Lord, if only you had been here my situation wouldn't have dot, dot, dot. These are powerful and loaded words. 
And I see so much folded into this expression. I see faith. I see expectation. I see disappointment. I see grief. And I feel compelled this morning to not preach you happy and scoot you past this tension, but to sit in this with Jesus at this intersection and unpack it a bit. My goal today is to help you gain heaven's perspective, not so that you might smile again, but so that you might see, you might locate Jesus in the middle of this complicated intersection. I want to start this morning with faith. Though imperfect, all the main characters in this passage come to this encounter with some measure of faith in Jesus. The disciples are actively following him, right? At this moment, they're actively following him. In fact, they've left everything to do so. And as we describe faith, here is the leaning of your weight, the weight of your life on Jesus. It's not casual, right? It's not in and out. It's like I'm going to lean the weight of my life on Jesus. The disciples are doing that. They're doing so imperfectly. They've got questions. They, like us, are are a little shaky at times, but they are walking in faith. Thomas, known as the doubter, in verse 16, even when Jesus says, let's go back to Judea where there's sure to be trouble, where folks are trying to kill him, even Thomas, the doubter, says, let's go too. Let's go die with Jesus, right? They are walking in faith. They've seen the miracles. They've listened to the teaching. They know that he's the Messiah. They've got shaky faith, but faith nonetheless. And now uh, we talk about Martha and Mary. They love Jesus so much. They trust him dearly, not because he's just a friend, but because he is Messiah. They have no doubt that he's the Messiah. They have no doubt that he is who he says he is. In fact, when Jesus tells Martha that he is the resurrection and the life, she says, I have always believed that you are the Messiah. I've always believed that you are the Son of God. I've always believed that you're the one who has come to the world from God. These are her words. She's walking in faith. You say, why is this important? Well, because we see ourselves in this story. If you're watching me today, you're probably a person of Christian faith, or at least you're looking into the matter. You're trying to sort of figure it out. But many of us who are watching, who are gathered around the virtual service today, you are people of Christian faith, a varying stage of the faith. You've come to put your trust in Jesus. Varying stages of faith. It might be shaky. It might be imperfect. And depending on what season you are in in your life, it might be a little, but it's faith. Nonetheless, in some measure, we've surrendered our lives to him and we've pledged to lean full weight in increasing measure, excuse me, increasing measure of our life on Jesus. And even if you're not, I said, a person of faith, you're at least looking into the matter. And so, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died, feels like a faith statement to me. It feels like a statement that flows out of trust in God that he would come through, that he is capable, right? And so I talk about faith first because it is the starting point for many of us. I highlight faith first because our faith is important because it serves to shape what follows, and that is our expectations. i say that again. Faith serves to set the tone and set the stage for our expectations, which is the second sort of thing 
at this curious and complicated intersection. Lord, if you had only been here, my brother would not have died. Feels loaded with expectation. Who among us, as we read this passage, especially as you read it for the first time, isn't at least a little bit surprised that Jesus didn't leave right away and go to tend to his sick friend. Or or minimally just send the word to heal him like he did in John 4 with a government official's son. Who among us isn't just the least surprised just to see this as a bit curious that Jesus seemed to just sort of drag his feet and, and meander toward the problem? Who isn't just like surprised a little bit? After all, we know Jesus to be a healer. We know him to be a miracle worker, especially those of us in vineyard circles. Our our charismatic faith, our trust in the power of the kingdom of God breaking in, right? We know him to be a healer. We've, We've heard the sermons. We've read the stories in the Bible. And many of us have ourselves prayed healing prayers and watched the kingdom of God break in. And we've seen the sick healed. We've seen those who've been oppressed by demons be set free. We've seen this. We've prayed for barren wounds and had those wounds open. We've seen this and much much more. We've seen Jesus at work. Now, imagine being Mary and Martha. They actually knew Jesus. They actually lived at the time where they saw and witnessed and heard of all the miracles and all the signs and wonders that followed his life. No one was sick and stayed sick in Jesus' presence. No one died while Jesus was around. In fact, Jesus healed strangers with minimal effort. He was preaching one day and and some random guy was just lowered through the roof on a makeshift gurney. Jesus stopped what he's doing, forgave his sins and healed him. He got up and walked. Strange woman crawls and presses through a crowd with an issue of blood. She didn't even really interact with Jesus. She just touched the hem of his robe, and instantly she was healed. Instantly the blood stopped flowing, and she was able to return to normal life. Jesus didn't even, didn't even occur to him that somebody was after him. 5,000 men, not to speak of women and children, were fed by his miraculous hand. He didn't even know these people. Blind eyes were open. Those oppressed by demons instantly freed. Jesus did this and so much more for strangers. What could his dear friends expect from him? Seems like a fair question, doesn't it? Their faith had shaped their expectation of who Jesus was and what, they would, what he could do, but also their friendship with him might have also served to shape their expectations as well. And maybe this is just conjecture, and maybe I'm taking liberties with the text. But Lord, if you had only been here, my brother would not have died. Sounds like maybe they expected him to show up before he showed up. That statement to me sounds like they expected more than what they got from Jesus. There's tension there. Even some in the crowd says, this man has healed a blind man. Couldn't he have kept Lazarus from dying? Somebody in the crowd said that. Now, my mama calls that instigating. She says somebody's instigating. But imagine Jesus hearing the murmurs. Imagine what people are thinking when Jesus fails to show up as expected for his friends. Expectation. Can I press in a little bit deeper? Can I make this personal? 
Because I confess that I can relate to this. When tragic things happen to good people, when folks who have given their lives in faithful Christian service are hurt or face tragedy, are dealing with unspeakable things, I am tempted to wonder, Lord, is there not a worse person you can afflict with this? Isn't there some scoundrel that's more deserving of cancer than the little girl of our community life pastors who've given the better part of their life in Christian service? Like, is there not some, if you just got to hand it out to somebody, When darkness darkens my own door, my expectation often turn into entitlement. And I'm tempted to pull out my resume and show the Lord. Tempted to want to walk him through this building and say, Lord, see what we've built for you? Have you forgotten what we've given up to say yes to you? the hits we've taken, the people who now know you because of what we've done, I'm tempted to show my resume to the Lord and say, Lord, don't you, don't you see like we deserve better than this? They, they deserve better. I have expectations. And what does Jesus do in this moment where he's faced with our expectations that have been shaped by our imperfect faith because imperfect faith leads to imperfect expectations, which often leads, as I often said, in a sense of entitlement. Jesus is right there. At the intersection of that imperfect faith, at the intersection of that imperfect expectations, he's right there. And he sits with me, and he sits with you as that moves from expectation to disappointment to disappointment. Lord, if you had only been here, my brother would not have died, is dripping with disappointment. It's dripping with disappointment. And I'm always careful to notice disappointment in the scripture because it's everywhere. What's more is we're tempted to see disappointment as the absence of faith, but I want to stop you right there. Disappointment, if you stop and think about it, is often the evidence that faith was present because you can't be disappointed if you don't expect something. I say that again. You can't be disappointed if you don't expect something and you can't expect something that you're not hoping for and you can't hope for something that you don't have faith in. And so oftentimes, as expectation is the outworking or one of the outworkings of faith, so is disappointment. What did the disciples say on the road to Emmaus? We had hoped that he was the one. They had faith. They had expectations. And all that flowed from their imperfect faith, which gave way to imperfect expectations. And now they're sitting in full-blown disappointment. Mary and Martha were disappointed. What they were hoping for did not pan out. And here Jesus is fully present in their darkest moment. They still love him. They still trust him. 
But expectation is waning because nobody on the scene, nobody expects Jesus to do what he does next. It's clear. Read it again. Nobody expects Jesus to bring Lazarus up out of that tomb. And this is what our disappointment does. It fractures things. In the darkness and in the worst moments of our soul, things get fractured that were once intact. There's nothing like a good dark moment to show you where you really are. It's nothing about the dark season of the soul or the pinch of wants or the wilderness experience to press you in toward reality of your faith and what you expect from God and who you know him to be. We can't see him clearly in the light. We see him best in the dark. We see him best as sure as a candle, as sure as a light can be best seen in the darkness as sure as we can see Jesus better in our moments of disappointment. And here they are. And here we are, disappointed because our expectations didn't pan out. Because our faith is imperfect. Fourth and final section of all of this where Jesus meets us, he meets us in our grief. I don't know about you, but I love that Jesus doesn't rush us past the difficult places and try to get us back real quick to a place of faith. I love it that Jesus is big enough and mature enough and secure enough to be able to sit with us in these difficult moments. In the, year, the kind of year we've had, there's been plenty to sit in. And the year we've had, there's been plenty of opportunity for me, the preacher, to turn your face and turn your eyes to a big God because it's hard to see him in the dark. But here's what I know. Jesus doesn't rush us past, scooch us past these dark moments. He walks with us. Psalmist tells us, that we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, that he's there with us. He doesn't scooch us through this grief. Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died, is laden with grief, heaviness, and sorrow. And guess what? Jesus is here for that too. Verse 33 says, when Jesus saw her weeping and saw the other people wailing with her, a deep anger wailed up within him, and he was deeply troubled. Where have you put him, he asked them. They told him, Lord, come see. Then, verse 35, then Jesus wept. Then Jesus, the incarnate deity, the word made flesh, fully God, but fully man, he wept. He's sitting in this with us. And when you're tempted to think that you're going through this alone, when you're tempted to think that God is waiting for you on the other side of this and all you got to do is slug your way through it by yourself, no. No. He's right there. He's on the scene. He's experiencing real emotion with his friends. 
He's about to heal this brother in just a few moments, a few minutes, it'll all be over. They'll be partying in a few minutes. They'll be having testimony service in just a few minutes. And still he pauses to sit in this with them. Scripture tells us he was angry when he saw them weeping. He beheld the scene and he got angry at the ravages of sin. The sin in the world that he created, he was angry that death as an intrusive enemy that Satan had weaponized to cause us to fear. Jesus was angry. He wept because with us he experiences that sorrow revealing his humanity. He enters into this experience And he feels real feelings. His tears prove him to be, as the prophet says, a man of sorrow acquainted with our grief. He sits with us in this moment. And so we know him not just as a healer, not just as a miracle worker, but we know him also as a savior who can sit in this with us. It's taken every ounce of strength and uh, discipline to not try to quickly move us to higher ground and turn quickly to the end of this chapter and say, see, Lazarus gets up because many of us aren't there. We aren't there today. We aren't there today. We are in a moment of grief We're stewing in something, and we need to know that Jesus is right there. If you're experiencing disappointment, and if you're experiencing grief, and if your expectations haven't been met, and you're kind of salty with God, that that does not mean that you've lost your faith. That does not mean that you are drifting on an island someplace. It means you're a human. It means that you have need of something and someone bigger than yourself to carry you through this. This is normal. And some of you need to hear this morning that what you're experiencing is the normal range of human emotions and that we need to what? Look up. How do we put this all together? Many of us in some way are, we're at the intersection of faith our expectations, our disappointment, and our grief. If you're not feeling that for your own personal life in this particular moment, you're certainly feeling that and sensing that for others, and I think we're supposed to sit with that. But I think the goal of this morning is so that we might be able to quickly locate Jesus right in the midst of it. Jesus is here in the midst of COVID. Jesus is here in the midst of racial tension. Jesus is here in the midst of injustice and all the chaos that ensues as a result of the election. Jesus is here in the midst of cancer and troubling news. Jesus is here. And my mama used to say all the time that he may not come when you want him. Or how you want him. 
But how many of you know that he is always, always on time? Who among us needs to look around and locate Jesus in the midst of our crisis today? Who among us needs to look up and locate Jesus in the midst of our pain? He's there. And my prayer is that he would reveal himself to you in a real, tangible way so that you might enjoy his presence and all that his presence brings. Faith, expectation, disappointment, grief. Jesus is right, right there in the middle. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, thank you that you are an ever-present help in the time of trouble. Thank you, Father, that the absence of good times doesn't mean that you're absent. You even say in this passage that we read, Lord, that you are working something out for our good and for our glory. And whether you've caused the thing we're dealing with or you've simply allowed it, we know that you, it has not escaped you. And for those of us who are struggling this morning, for those of us who have felt our faith take a hit, Lord, would you help our unbelief this morning? Would you teach us to see you in every, every season of the soul? Come, Holy Spirit. Sit with us now, Lord. Just overtake those, Father, who might be suffering this morning. Overtake those who are sad. Overtake those who are sick. Overtake those who are just beside themselves with grief and sadness. Lost their bearings. Be with our friends, the Arsenals, this week, Lord. Lord, wrap your arms around little joy. May she know your healing. May they know your comfort. May they feel your presence. Come, Holy Spirit. Sit with us in this. Father, when we don't have the words, we say we trust you. Father, I lift up those who are far from you this morning. Those who've just tuned in this morning, you're not walking with the Lord, but there's something about what was spoken and what was said today that you want to know Jesus as the resurrection and the life. And so, Lord, I pray for those who wish to draw near to you today, Father. I pray that you would make yourself known to them in a powerful and tangible way. They would see you as a God who draws near to those who, who, who are brokenhearted, who are far from you, Lord. Would you show yourself to be whatever we need in this moment. Come, Holy Spirit, do your work. 
And as we go throughout our week, may we see traces of you everywhere, everywhere this week. Do what only you can do. We ask all these things in Jesus' mighty name. And all God's people said,